0: Hello, my name is Steven Sock from Solutions Brewing, and I'm joined today by Brenda Pipa and Robert Kalichuk. And today, we have a very interesting uh, discussion, and it's on the 1560 Bavarian Law, Rheinsenvolk. I think I pronounced that correctly, but we'll uh, see how that goes. Well, it is German. It's hard to pronounce Never, German, German things. <laughs> I'm part German, so I... I don't know if that you know came up through me and I was able to pronounce it, but anywho, the, the fifteen sixteen Bavarian law has, you know was in fifteen sixteen a law an edict set out to maintain the purity of beer in Germany. And now there is a a bunch of texts related to it, but the important bit is you know translated from the German. Furthermore, we wish to emphasize that in the future of all cities, market towns, and in the country. The only ingredients used for the brewing of beer must be barley, hops, and water. Whosoever knowingly disregards or transgresses upon this ordinance shall be punished by the court authorities confiscating such barrels of beer without fail. Now, there are a few exceptions to this. The one notable one being Goza, because Goza as a beer predates this law and was basically, you know, grandfathered into this. Goza uh, traditionally being a soured beer with salt and coriander, as it's uh, outside of the normal ingredients' ingredients. But in a modern age where people are putting pineapple into their beers, chocolate into the beers, what do the members of Solutions Brewing think about it? And to start us off, I'm going to toss us to Brennan Pipa.
1: Well, Steve, you and I have had many discussions on this law over the years and i think mm-hmm. i've made my position clear is that i am a big fan of this law I, I think this is just a great approach to keeping a product kind of well as the law states as a, as a pure expression of the capability of the different flavors that you get with such a simple spread of ingredients um, before i dig myself into too much of a hole here though i will note the couple notable exceptions every year i make uh, a pumpkin spice ale for Thanksgiving time, October, that whole kind of pumpkin spice timeline. And I do stand by that beer, even though it doesn't adhere to this law. The other one that I was going to bring up, and I wasn't aware of the Goza exception to this because, uh, Steve, you make an excellent Goza that I enjoy. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to hear that it is grandfathered past this law. (laughs) I don't have to (laughs) hold hold you in contempt for uh, making a beer that goes outside it, which, like I said, I do as well. But no, I, I, I think It it is incredible that we have such a diverse array of beer products that we can make um, with just four ingredients. Different types of malts and different types of hops can produce wildly different beers. Um, We've discussed before uh, breweries that produce a, a type of beer and then proceed to make several other versions of it changing only the hop schedule. And producing wildly different flavors and then being able to sell these very interesting packs where you can have a a wide variety of flavor with a simple ingredient. You don't need um, all the other additions that you can have, the uh, elderberries, the chocolates, the pineapple, I think you mentioned, which just sounds like a bad idea to throw in a beer to start with. in order to get these these flavors you can get chocolate flavors from a chocolate malt it's a, a way that you treat the grain before it goes into the brewing process that can produce these flavors without actually throwing chocolate into the into the mash pineapple you can get through different hops and the aromas that they have and the flavors that they add to the beer you can you can achieve most of these flavors with just these four ingredients and i think there's something beautiful about that you know when it comes to the the craft uh, that we all uh, adhere to
2: but that's just my opinion i know other people yeah i'm wondering i was curious that i didn't It sounds like you kind of have a bit of a strong opinion on that and uh you know, <laughs> you know you know that law is 500 years old and uh you know being like nowadays um even i've experimented with some beers like making a stout and throwing some vanilla in for example because then you get like kind of like a, a chocolate coffee vanilla flavors right and I, I don't know of any malt or or any hop that will give you that vanilla flavor, right? And also, I mean, the, the thing like from 500 years ago, I mean, that was a government implemented law, right? So was that so that they could narrow the definition down of beer so that they could tax it? Because I mean, beer gets taxed everywhere. So is that so that they can limit the ingredients be like, oh, uh, you know, so-and-so is going and buying a bunch of grain and hops. you know, That guy's making beer, you know, we should uh, tax, tax him on those ingredients. Whereas like nowadays, I mean, to me, it's still beer. If you add flavors to it and they can still taste awesome. For sure. For sure. Um, I, I am definitely speculating here um, for the
1: original intent of the law. But given that it was 500 years ago and quality control on additives and ingredients in beer in general was not anywhere near what it is today, I, I have to imagine that there was some public health motivation uh, behind mm-hmm. having something like this you have very simple ingredients that can be controlled and you know the combination of these ingredients is going to produce something that is reasonably safe the interesting thing i i think about the law is the original one didn't even mention yeast it was just barley hops and water i don't uh, mm because the fermentation was all by natural yeasts that were just around right yeah they understood the fermentation process they added yeast to the list because they understood its necessity in the process but
2: yeah those were all their, their magical uh, mash paddle did all the work <laughs> of, of inoculating yeah. these uh batches yeah. with with yeast
1: so so i think I think it was driven from maintaining a control on something that they wanted people to have access to, but they wanted to make sure people could be healthy. I'm sure they had some tax benefit out of it as well because why not and certainly those aren't concerns anymore um the additives you get and the control of the process even at the homebrew level is miles ahead of what it would have been 500 years ago so you can make a safe product and you can make some interesting stuff for sure i I break this law myself every year when i make my pumpkin spice sale but i i think that trying to restrict yourself as much as possible to to this kind of expression allows for you to explore what is available in terms of malts and hops as opposed to defaulting to additives which can give you kind of the quick note that you're looking for without necessarily the depth and complexity that you might get from other other options. Vanilla is an interesting one, Rob. I, I hadn't put any thought to that. And you're right, I, I, I can't think of any
0: anything that adheres to this law that would add that note to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there, there, I don't think there's anything, because like, if you're looking for like weird flavor hops, like you usually go to New Zealand, which has a lot of tropical fruit flavors and, um, you know, citrus and all that kind of stuff. But even, I don't think even they have like managed to get vanilla into
2: like a hop form yet or anything like that. I'm pretty sure it's impossible. I don't think uh, that works out like that. But unless someone starts splicing vanilla bean with, you know, hop in some way. But <laughs> then growing some weird vanilla bean hop bind in, in the lab. But uh, uh, another one well, is ginger. Vanilla is such so, a... Like who doesn't like a delicious ginger beer?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I don't know. I've had too many ginger beers and tequilas back now, previously. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm going to jump in here and say that but I think the second brew that I ever did, which was that saison of mine, I put in bitter orange peel which again would have been contrary to, you know, a lot of time and it gave that beer a great citrus flavor on flavor on the tail end and ever since then I basically like I found flavors that I like, and I try to put them into the beer. One of the most recent examples that I've done can't really do it anymore because you know we're kind of professional brewers, kind of at this point, not really, but pretty much. And it was one of the last homebrew competitions I entered, and they had it was a local brewery that had their base beer, and it was a hack the wart competition. And I really like their flavors, and I wanted to basically do more tropical flavors along it without like reboiling the, you know, the wort to get to, you know, some, you know, hops in there or dry hop or anything like that. So I put Hungarian paprika pepper and pineapple juice in a beer. And let me tell you that the beer has already had lime and sour in it. Oh, man, that tastes like summer. Oh, it tastes so, so good. <laughs> And from there, like, Brennan's right. there The four ingredients, there is in an infinite amount of variability within those ingredients. Because even the same malt from different farms will be vastly different. Like, we've gone down to, in Calgary area, like, I've gone to Origin Malt Company, which is in Strathmore. And their, quote-unquote, two-row malt is pretty different from Red Shed malts to row malt. Like they're similar, but there's a lot of different variability there. But with that, there is so much other flavors you can get in the beer now, that we should be striving to incorporate the flavors that we like into our beers. So one that I will have to get our friend of ours, uh, Robert Kleesh, the next time he's in Budapest, to get some more of these like random Hungarian paprika peppers that he got from some street vendor. Don't know where he got them. Quality control and all that, but those peppers have been so good in adding the beers because they add a little bit of kick, a little bit of something in the in the in the in the back end that you're drinking the beer and you go, ooh, that's a little spicy, that's, that's, which wouldn't be allowed underneath the Bavarian beer law.
2: Getting a uh, Hungarian hot peppers from a street vendor sounds like an interesting supply chain problem. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you have to find more cable source. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we go? Oh, we, just, we get it from Charlie down the street or something. It's an opportunity for
0: an increase in international trade. Yeah. That's the thing is that like, I, I haven't used it yet, but I have uh, Hawaiian salt. It's from uh, a clay farm or a clay part of the island and the salt is red like it has a whole bunch of minerals and other stuff that's in there and i want to use it for a beer one of these days i might do an experiment with it with my dark ritual goza i might make a double batch and then use the salt in each one differently and that, even that goza that's like your goes watermelon one, right? as, yeah and that's the thing like traditionally the you know even the exception is salt coriander and sour whereas the goza that i do has salt and watermelon in there and that is oh so refreshing plus watermelon margaritas on brew day which is also a fantastic idea <laughs> I, I do really really like that beer steven i am now sad because at the start of
1: the episode, I thought that it adhered to this law and was just grandfathered in, and now you are
2: a full heathen again, so <laughs> but I will continue to drink You <laughs> <You're horrible. laughs> heathen, give me more of this stuff. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no I, I, I've stated some pretty strong opinions here, but I, I will reiterate that I, I do enjoy a lot of different types of beer that do not adhere to this law, and I myself brew beers <laughs> that do not adhere to this law, but I think it is a very good thing to exist and it's it's one of those things that I think should almost exist as Uh-oh. as a challenge for a brewer is to try to find a way to get the flavors they want with this law. Um, there's some that you won't be able to get, but to try to avoid the the quick and easy uh, additives that are all too common right now and that I mean there are many beers out there that use extra additives poorly and you end up with a poor product out of it and you, you look back and you're like, well,
0: yeah, that's true.
1: If they had done it just with the, the malt, they probably would have had a better product out of it.
0: Yeah. Well, I was just thinking again because people like to add like grapefruit to their beers. Um, I've had a lot of grapefruit beers that are just chemical. Like you can tell that grapefruit has never seen a grapefruit, and it wasn't even like you know pureed grapefruit or anything like that, and they add it. And you can actually get a get them hops now because Kalachuk, you brewed. I think it was a year or two years ago, a dry hopped grapefruit ale that contained no grapefruit, and it was fantastic.
2: Yeah, that was the year that I lost that hockey bet to you. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, that, that was my that was my beer. I remember now.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, they actually that's a, a regular hop now. So when I made that one, uh, you, you know, when they come up with new hops or these experimental hops, they don't actually give it a name. They just call it like EXP for experiment and then a number and that was like exp0636 or i can i don't know, actually remember the number but it was something along those lines it's called grapefruit so there's a hop called grapefruit and uh i have never ever since every time i use that one i'm like why would i ever add grapefruit to a beer this like that one hop alone is basically grapefruit i don't i don't even know how they did that but yeah because yeah. yeah. like you try hop that beer and i remember taking like the first sip of it and being like
0: you put grapefruit in this, didn't you? And you're like, nope. And it was so, it was like a pure expression of grapefruit. Like it, that's what it was. And it's like, nope, that grapefruit is in the store down the street. It's nowhere near this beer.
2: Yeah, I get it. that. was another grape to glass thing. That was Doug brought me to that one. I was like, Here, try this one. I'm like, okay. I'm like, oh my God, get more. <laughs> so so that brings up an interesting point though steve
1: earlier you mentioned uh you started getting onto the additives because of a saison you made and you added the bitter orange peel at the end to give that nice kind of citrus finish and all that if you could achieve that same citrus finish with a hop would you use the hop or would you still
0: use the bitter orange now okay that's an interesting thing if there was a hop that gave me orange flavor and not like like you see citra hops or whatever and all that and it's like citrusy flavors because it's like lemon and lime and grapefruit and like there's a, a spectrum within that if there was a pure expression of orange in a hop maybe stand there, yeah. the big thing would be as a homebrewer, brewer it would be cost because uh, unlike these two, I go to my local uh, beer supply store called the Vineyard, which is, uh, it, it's located in the southeast of Calgary, and it's a great store. It's also the home base of the Yeast Wranglers, which is the local homebrew group. But the interesting thing is that like, if I, you know, a standard two-ounce thing of hops, there's about five bucks, roughly. The orange peel is about two fifty to 3 bucks. At that point, you know, the, you know, the lizard part of my brain would be like, what costs more at that point? And that's what that would probably dictate my choice is that if I could get the hop or use enough of the hop at, you know, like I only need to use an ounce of it at, you know, for dry hopping at a week after, then maybe I would choose the hop. But if otherwise, like just adding in bitter orange peel to the boil is no problem at all. So to me at that point, like, you know, as a home brewer and then, you know, eventually as a commercial home brewer, it would be cost. If you could do a cost effectively, sure, I would do the hop, but I would still default to the, you know, the cheap option at the end of the day. Interesting. Yeah. Product. And I, I think that, highlights the issue for a number of
1: commercial breweries that make these beers that are occasionally substandard or or you can really tell that they've used an artificial additive as opposed to trying to achieve the flavor naturally and it must be driven by cost or at least that has to that that is one of the prime motivators right because you can do a lot cheaply with some of these other additives i think it's Um, uh, some of that
2: too is convenience because you get like an extract you get like a you know like a ginger or an orange extract and you can just dump it in. Uh, you don't have to do like what I do with my ginger beer, which is like, like I hand peel it and I grind it down into like a basically a slushy, and I'm adding it in. But nowadays, they, someone, someone's someone got that where they like, they've squished that ginger into basically a juice and you have an extract and you can just add that in and you have the same effect with less work.
0: Yeah. Like it's the same thing. It's like I take a whole watermelon and grind it down, take the juice out of it and put it into the beer and then like I have leftovers it's a labor-intensive and expensive process. But it's fun. It is fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, your will not, would not be the same without the, the ritual that goes into preparing the watermelon for its uh, transition from fruit to beer. <laughs> so using a watermelon extract or something is never a consideration for that particular beer, just because the extract bottle will be too small for the runes that are needed for the, the ritual.
0: That's true for the viewers that are listening, uh, usually when we get the watermelon, I bring over our good friend, Robert leash. Uh, he usually puts runes into the watermelon. Uh, then we put a salt circle around the watermelon to contain the soul of it. And then, <laughs> you know, cut it up, grind it and add it to the beer. So there is a, a, a process as well as a sacrificial knife and some Gregorian chants that occur at the same time. So it's, a uh, yeah, you're right, Brendan. It it is an evolved process, and it wouldn't be the same without uh, with changing at least a small element of that. Yeah, and I don't know. So
1: about, one of the, I think one of the reasons I really like that beer is because like yeah, it deviates from this this purity law, but you guys go all in on the deviation. Like it's not just adding the watermelon. And there's there's runes, there's salt, there's this whole ritual that goes on with it. So it it, it really adds a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's Latin. Sometimes it's Aramaic. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it depends on
2: what I'm that day <laughs> yeah and I don't know about you guys but I have yet to find or ever taste a watermelon extract that actually tastes like watermelon yeah,
1: yeah so true. it's a real problem in the candy world as
2: well yeah well
0: like, I, I still remember one time I was drinking a beer I, I won't name the brewery but it was out of uh, BC and I, like I picked up one of the like six pack mixers or a 12 pack mixer and I was having their grapefruit ale and you can, and it's just the first sip and I'm like, I don't want to finish this. I've bought it, I've had it, I don't want to stop like for that thing to stop drinking it, but oh man, it was not pleasant. And you can tell right away that, nope, they didn't, there was no grapefruits involved with that beer. And that was unfortunate. Cause you can do it well, you can do it with hops and you can do all that fun stuff, but uh, in the other direction, eh, sometimes it doesn't work out that way.
2: Yeah, I've I've had similar encounters with watermelon beers. You know, you go in a liquor store and you're like, oh, hey, you know what? That might be interesting because like watermelon, it's not a strong flavor, but it's like it's nice. Yeah, it's and, a nice uh, subtle flavor. But it's, you know, I'm gonna say this because I've, I haven't had your uh, your watermelon goza yet. Uh, every time you make it, it disappears before I get a chance to have any. Uh, yeah. But I have I have yet to have <laughs> I have yet to have a watermelon beer that I actually like. Like they're, to me, they're all disgusting. And so now even if I see a new one out there, I'm like, I don't have like zero motivation to try it because I was like, I don't know. Do I really want to put myself through that again?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's something to keep the ritual the same. When we open up the brewery and we have to, you know, scale up. To get that amount of juice that we need to, you know, again, scale up from a homebrew recipe to a, uh, to like a a further recipe, we're going to need a lot of watermelon. It's gonna take like a day <laughs> to do it, cause, yeah, cause you're you're right. Like it's 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 different, but yeah, we'll have like the monks come in. Like they'll walk in through the, the tap room into the back. They'll have the hoods up. They'll have their knives at the ready, and then yeah, they'll spend the whole day cutting watermelons and juicing. So yeah. we gotta meet yeah. some monks. <laughs> we'll, we'll find some holy men. It'll be fine. It'll, it'll be okay
2: so uh i know this was like you mentioned this a little while ago too brendan when we were talking about the you know the definition of the the Ryan Scabot. and uh you mentioned like you think it was potentially there for health reasons and uh you know that's not a reason i ever thought of i always think of uh you know when a rule gets put in by government it's because they're being jerks <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's fair enough. but
0: uh you know that and, also and makes and sense they too. probably
1: were jerks about it too but yeah like yeah. i think just I mean, the world was an interesting place 500 years ago, but there were a lot of things, a lot of things that we take for granted nowadays that were not available at that point. I mean, stupid things like running water, <laughs> basic sanitation knowledge. Like, So I, I studied a very small amount of history in my time, and, and there's some things that when you start looking at in that light of like, okay, well, if you had to keep everybody healthy, but you didn't have a population that was knowledgeable and even you weren't knowledgeable enough about what causes all all the problems. How would you mandate it? And here was a way for them to get, keep people drunk in legal way
0: (laughs) that kept them not dead. (laughs) So when when you work beer and you're, uh, you're mixing the beer, like, you know, hopefully your hands are clean, but they're generally not. So yeah, like it's, you're, you're right. Like it's a, easy way to hopefully stamp out some disease some problems and even just like bad beer because like again most of the text of the 1516 law is tax related it's you know you can't charge more than blank for this size of volume so it's basically trying to regulate them down to not so cheap that you can't afford the ingredients and you're making like a substandard beer essentially, at that point. And it's not the other way that, you know, you're charging out the wazoo because you're like, all natural ingredients, it's organic, it's fair trade, it's uh, it's small batch. <laughs> yeah, like, did you just cringe at all Any of those time? words existed 500 years ago, I'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that was the thing, is that, like, most of the, the rest of the text of law is dealing with money. And there's only that one Know, kind of paragraph, or it's not even really a paragraph that deals just like you must use these ingredients, but yeah, like because again, back then there might be a, a couple uh taverns or something like that that were making their own beer and throwing in like I don't know, they were throwing whatever fruit they could find and throw it in there and see what happens. And yeah, there's probably some bad things happening out of that. All <laughs> oh, this fruit
1: is too rotten to sell, okay, throw it in the beer. One, yeah, it worked for the wine and the rum,
0: so why not the beer? <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's uh, we've had a big discussion here. Let's get some uh, final words on this.
2: So uh, let's start with you, Kalachak. Fifteen, sixteen, law. What do you think? I mean, sure, it had its place, time, and place for it. There was probably a reason for it. I'm sure people were like sticking bits of tree or something, bark in there, just to bitter it up or do something with it but i I think these days uh with the technology and information that we have i I don't think it's something we need to strictly adhere to uh, unless you're making a beer that you want to make a certain style in which case you probably should be adhering to those laws if you want to be true to style so to speak but otherwise you know i'm i'm pretty flexible Uh, the whole point is um beer has such like a wide variety of flavors and things that you can do with it that I see no ill will with experimentation and and, uh, crazy flavors or whatever you want to do with it. Whether you want like a a beer beer, so to speak, or, you know, if you want something that tastes like something you get from Starbucks, you know, (laughs) like, uh, so I don't know. I'm neither here nor there with it. I I think that, you know, at the time it had a purpose and uh, I think right now it's, you know, doesn't really matter anymore.
0: Okay, and back to you, Brendan.
2: Uh, before I give my uh my
1: my final notes here, um do any of our three fine solutions brewing products deviate from this law?
0: Uh, uh, no. no.
1: All three adhere okay. very your law. Very good. Then I, I rigidly enforce this law. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, I do enjoy the concept of this law as a challenge for brewers across the world and for anybody who's homebrewing and wants to challenge themselves to try to create the flavors that they can with the, the four ingredients and kind of appreciate the diversity that we can get through different malts and different hops. Um, with that being said, I really enjoy Steve's uh, Watermelon Goza, which is in direct violation of this. I also <laughs> myself make... Uh, pumpkin spice beer every year that I also really enjoy that is, is dead set against this law as well. So I would say that I am rigid rigidly adhering to this law and rigidly enforcing it, except when I'm not. (laughs)
2: Uh, Except for when it's convenient.
1: (laughs) Pretty much. The the goal at the end of the day is to make good beer. And I, I think trying to adhere to this law helps people to create better beer. And then in the situations where you can't get the flavors you want within this law, then you're, primed enough to go in and make a good beer with other additives, understanding and respecting the product that you're trying to make. So, that's my final thoughts.
0: Okay. And uh, just to close this off, um, I reject Brendan's conclusion completely and go that uh, yep, anything (laughs) is game. (laughs) Yeah, sorry Brendan, I gotta pile on you here, but it's just, like, you're, you're right. Like When someone manages to get those flavors out of a beer that adheres hears the laws, I really like that because that is like, oh, you did your research, you did your work, and yeah, you made this beer. But at the same time, I've – oh, like there was an English ale I made a while ago that I threw a, like a crap ton of vanilla and cacao nibs into it and made this like – it wasn't quite a porter – but it was still like an English ale and just had all these chocolate and vanilla flavors in there. And I'm like, this is delicious. So, yeah, I, I don't adhere too closely to <laughs> the very <laughs> beer laws. But uh, I would say
2: to each their own. But does to that one with all the, the chocolate and stuff in it, did it? Did it also have a darker ritual involved or what?
0: No, that (laughs) one.
2: No, That's why it's unacceptable, Rob. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But I think that is going to wrap up this episode of uh, the podcast with Solutions Brewing Company. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you tune in for next time.
2: Actually, I think if if anyone wants to leave comments, too, or or send us a note, they can email us at at noproblemsatsolutionsbrewing.com. Someone will answer it. Probably me. (laughs) 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 Thanks for tuning in, and uh, see you guys next time.
0: Cheers.